the book of Colossians today, chapter number two in your Bible, and we start a new series, and one that I am really excited about. Of course, I'm excited about every new series, but I'm really excited about this one. Colossians chapter two in your Bible. Find Colossians two and stand, if you will, with me, please, as we read God's word together. Colossians chapter two and verse three. Colossians 2 and 3. In whom, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the subject to the previous verse, so we could say, Jesus, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you or trick you or deceive you with enticing words. Verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so you become a Christian, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, the faith there with the the before it, the article, it always means the Christian faith, rooted and built up in him and established in the Christian faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. A warning, beware, beware, lest any man spoil you. The word spoil is the old English word for the spoils of battle. Lest somebody capture you, like the ancient king used to go into battle and he would capture the the opposition in the war. And the Bible says, beware lest you be spoiled, captured in your minds through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him, Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness, every characteristic of the Godhead you find in Jesus in the sense of a human bodily. And you are complete in him. What a powerful phrase. You are complete in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. And you may be seated. Thank you. In verse 4 here, it says, it, it issues a caution. I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. And then again, in verse number eight, there's the warning. Beware, lest any man spoil you, capture your mind through philosophy and vain deceit. Both of these verses warn us against being captured by the philosophy of human wisdom. Or the word philosophy literally means the love of wisdom. And so both of these are saying to us, be careful that you don't adopt or adapt a worldview that is contrary to the Christian faith. Now that's a negative. That's a warning there. Beware. In verse number four, or if you will, or pardon me, in verse, uh, in verse number, I uh, lost my place here. In verse number nine, in him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in verse 10, you're complete in him. 
it says that Christ then is the source of true wisdom for us. He is the head of all principalities, all earthly powers, in other words, and that in Jesus Christ, we will find true wisdom, a source of complete fulfillment. When it says you're complete in him, it has the idea of being completely fulfilled. A few years ago, I was looking at a video on the internet, and it was of Charles Colson. Colson was Richard Nixon's lawyer. Colson took a lot of the fall for Watergate back in the 70s. In prison, he was a godless, unconverted, selfish man, but in prison, Charles Colson came to know Jesus Christ. He wrote a book. It's a famous book called Born Again, in which he gives his account of being in prison and coming to know Christ through a Christian who was there who did Bible studies with him. He was a Harvard grad. He was, Colson was a true intellectual in every sense of the word. And Colson said this in a statement. Listen to it. In fact, I think this was, may have been his last message that he ever delivered. And in his last words, he says, Christianity is more than a system of ethics or moral teaching. Christianity is more than a religion and more than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, stop a moment. If I said to you today, what is Christianity? What would you say? I think that the average person would say, well, it's the religion founded by Jesus Christ. Christianity is a system of very high moral and ethical teachings and values that really undergirded Western civilization. I think that other people would say, well, Christianity is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, all of which would be true, but it's not a complete definition. It's a partial definition. And Colson summed it up like this in this one statement, Christianity is God's explanation of all reality. That's the basis for the series of messages I'm bringing you. Reality, making sense of a crazy world. Does anybody here want to argue today whether we live in a crazy world or not? It gets crazier by the day, does it not? And how do you make sense of it? Well, you go back to the core. You go back to what is Christianity in its ultimate sense. And Christianity is God's explanation, not man, not the Baptist, not just one way of looking at life. Christianity is God's explanation of all reality. Number one, Christianity is God's explanation of reality in this sense. Now, listen with me. I want you to get this, please. Christianity is a set of true statements that explain and interpret all of life. What is Christianity? You say you're a Christian. You go, you're going to a Christian church. What do you mean by that? What is Christianity, the Christian faith, when you boil it down to its essence? Christianity is a set of statements, but they're true statements 
And those statements explain and interpret all of life, not just what we do here on Sunday morning. It affects every single part of our existence. A professor from the West Coast in a Christian university named Greg Kukul has said this, and I quote, Christianity explains how the world began, how it ends, and everything important that has happened in between. Boy, what an inclusive statement. You know what? I believe that statement. Christianity explains how the world began, how it will end, and everything important that happened in between. The danger of a church like this, where we put such an emphasis on reaching people for Christ and carrying out the Great Commission and all of that, but, but you can even get unbalanced on that. And you can get your view distorted if that's all you think Christianity involves. You see, we hand people a track sometimes how to be saved. But you cannot reduce Christianity to a track that says how to be saved. If you think that's all there is to the Christian faith, you really have a long ways to go in understanding what we believe. Christianity is far more than, that's called reductionism where we reduce Christianity to just one concept and we think that's it. Oh, no, no, no. Christianity is more than ethics, more than morality, more than religion, more than just a personal relationship with Christ. Christianity tells me how the world began. It tells me how it will end and everything that's important in between. So it's a worldview, and we use that word worldview a lot here. In fact, we say that's the first characteristic of of a disciple of Christ, is a disciple of Christ, not just any believer, but a person who's following the Lord Jesus Christ. A serious Christian is a person who looks at life through a Christian set of glasses, if you will, a pair of glasses, and you interpret life as you see it there. You see, the glasses that I wear have everything to do with how I interpret what's going on around me. And so uh, when I was about 40 years old, I had to go and get my first pair of glasses that had readers in them because I couldn't see to read. And the way that I interpreted life changed when I put on those new glasses that had readers in them. If I put on my sunglasses when I get in my car to go home, everything in the world around me will be tinted by what is in the sunglasses. When I put on my Christian glasses, my biblical glasses, everything that I look at will be tinted by what the Scripture says. And that's my worldview. That's the way I look at life. That is the way I interpret life. Now, America, and I remember this America at my age. I remember back in the 1950s, and no, America wasn't a perfect country in those days by any means. It never has been perfect. But I'll tell you, it was far greater, in my opinion, than it is today in this sense, that the country was based upon what we called a Judeo-Christian worldview. And you didn't have all this secularism and humanism and godlessness and so on. We actually had respect for one another by and large. 
You didn't have the crime. You sure didn't have the drugs. You didn't have the pornography spewing out of every television set and every outlet that you can imagine. You didn't have the divorce rate. You didn't have so many social ills is what people call them today because we all looked at life through this biblical lens. And not everybody was a born-again Christian. Not everybody was a good moral person. We had our criminals then. We had bad people then. We had evil then. But we looked at the culture around us and we looked at life differently than we do today. And why does it make a difference? Now listen, if you don't hear anything else today, get this one. What you believe in your heart of hearts and your mind determines how you think. What you believe determines how you think. How you then think depend, will dictate then what you do. You tell me how you think in your deepest heart level, and I can predict pretty accurately what you will do then. And then what you do, your actions, your habits, will pretty well dominate your whole life. Your whole life course will be set by what you believe, what you think, and what you do, the habits of your life. Another reason that Christianity today is, I believe, God's explanation of all reality is because that Christianity alone has the answer to what we call the ultimate questions of life. What are ultimate questions? I had to put them on the screen because I want you to know I, if I refer to ultimate questions, this is what I will be meaning in this series. Number one is where do we come from? Where do we come from? The question of our origins, if you will. That's an important question. If you answer that, that we are the result of billions of years of evolution and we came out of the slime and, and all that kind of stuff, and then my grandfather was a frog or something, and you know, it's going to view, it's going to change your whole worldview of who you are and what you are. No, I didn't come from the slime. I came from the divine. God Almighty created me in his image and stamped his image upon me and as he did upon you and every human being. And that makes us completely and radically different from all the other forms of life on this planet. If there was nothing else unique about Christianity, it tells us where I came from and that affects my self-image, my worldview, everything about me. The second of the ultimate questions would be, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Does God have a purpose for me? Does life have any meaning or is life just, just a series of things that you do until you get old and die? What is your purpose? What meaning does life have attached to it? Does it have any real meaning or do we just come and go and fall like the, we're born and then die and fall like the leaves on the tree? Many people think that today. Life has no purpose. The third of the ultimate questions is, well, where are we going to go when this is over? Where are we going to go? What is our destiny? The question of destiny. That's ultimately very, very important. And if we believe we're just going to die like animals and be consumed in the refuse pile somewhere, then that's a different view than, of course, 
Am I going to live eternally? Is my soul immortal? There was a time when I was not, but will there ever be a time when I will not be again, or will I always live? Will I always be? And the last of the ultimate questions is the question of pain and suffering. Well, if God made me and there is a good God, why is there so much evil? And why is there so much pain? And why is there so much suffering in the world? Why would a good God allow a holocaust or people to have cancer or someone to commit suicide or a child to get killed in a car wreck or a baby to be aborted before it ever saw the light of day? Ultimate questions. Only Christianity has the answer to those questions. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to study those. And I tell you, Christianity has answers to every one of those questions. Now, you may not like the answer that I give, or that's the Christian answer, but it is an answer that millions upon millions of people have bought into over the years and is a logical answer because Christianity is not just one thing. It's a whole. It's a whole view of reality. And when I answer those questions, those four questions, I can make sense of what's going on today. When I tell you, when I say, how do you make sense of a crazy world? I, I, I don't mean to boast, but you know what? It, it ain't crazy to me. You know what's happening in our world? People are acting exactly like they've been taught to think in this country and in Western civilization now for 50 years. They're acting very consistent with their worldview. If I believed what some of these people believed, I'd act the same way they act. It's not crazy. If you look at it from God's point of view, it's almost mathematically precise. Why do we have drugs? Why do we have porn? Why do we have marriages breaking up? Why do we have hatred? Why do we have violence? Why do we have racial division? It's because men have rejected God's view of reality in this world. Pure and simple, bottom line. And Christianity answers those why questions. First question that kids ask when they are little tykes like this is, why? Why? I remember my kids coming. Why, Daddy? Why? Tell me why. And they keep on asking why for several years there. They can drive you nuts, can't they? They're, they're naturally inquisitive. They, they want to understand the reason for things. You see, there are reasons for why things are like they are. And the kids understand those reasons. The kids know intuitively that there's a reason why things are like they are. And so they keep on asking the why questions. And you know what? If there were no reasons, then it would be foolish. It wouldn't make any sense to ask why. But even children understand why is a good question. I've had people come to me and say, I know it's wrong to say why. Oh, don't ever say that. It's not wrong to say why about anything. Where'd you get that? Do you remember Jesus Christ hanging on the cross? Even he, in a moment of deep and intense pain, said what? My God, my God, why? Did you allow me to go through this? It's not wrong to ask why when you've lost a loved one. 
But come back to your biblical thinking and your biblical base after you ask the question of why. Let God's word answer that for you. And when we can't find any answers that satisfy us, you know what we do? We check out. And so right here in this congregation, our young people go off to college. And we talked to a young man just this week, one of our staff members. His parents are godly people. He went 12 years through Florence Christian School. He went then to college, and in a few months, a professor captured him, Colossians chapter 2, captured his mind, asked him questions he couldn't answer because he sat in text most of the time when he, uh, he was, I was preaching. He played around. He didn't listen, kids. And I don't say that to jump on you, but it, you know what? If you don't listen, if you listen to me, if you would listen to me, I could prepare you. You could handle that. But you're, you're sitting around over there goofing off, and you're wasting your life and, and, and time, and, and, and my heart breaks for you. He sat here all these years. And now he told one of our staff, I I just don't know what I believe. Captured. Spoiled. By the way, parents, you'll be the last to know when that happens. Everybody else will know before you do. Please hear me when I talk to you about this. And you know, we can't live with the idea that there are no answers very well. People who try to live and ignore the reality and say, well, there just aren't any answers, and they just give up on ever finding the answer. There's a name for that. There's a fancy name, nihilism. Nihilism is the belief that there are no answers, that life is pointless, that life has no meaning, that life has no values, that values mean nothing. There are no absolute moral values. There is no truth. Nihilism. I could tell you about the philosophers who believe that, like Nietzsche and people like that, and that wouldn't be much value. The young people will know who I'm talking about when I call the name Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor is the head of a band that they listen to. The name of the band is Nine Inch Nails. It's, now it's getting on the old side, but Trent Reznor is the classic prototype of somebody who tried the drug culture for years and years, drank himself stupid night after night after night, lived the promiscuous lifestyle, flaunted everything of decency and values in, 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 in his whole world. And he started this band, Nine Inch Nails, and he's a, he's a genius. He's a creative genius. He's a brilliant musician. He's written the score for numerous Hollywood movies. He says life has no meaning. It has no value. It's totally pointless. So he started him a record label. Do you know what the name of his record label is? Nothing Records. That sends a message, doesn't it? And when he decided to record his last album, to make his point about nihilism, here's what Reznor did. He went, to Hollywood, or he went to Los Angeles. He found the house 
where Charles Manson murdered Sharon Tate and four other people, cut them up with a butcher knife, basically, and he rented the house, turned it into his recording studio, and recorded his last albums there. Sick, you say? Yeah. He was trying to make a statement. There was a thousand recording studios already in existence, but he wanted to make his statement that life has no meaning. He was preaching a sermon. He preaches as much as I preach. He's as much a preacher as Bill Monroe will ever be. But on the other side of the the equation, I repeat, Christianity is the only system that gives an explanation of reality, of how the world began, why it's like it is today, and God's solution to the problems and how the story will end one day. Number two, real quickly, Christianity is the true narrative, the true narrative of reality written by the creator in a book that he calls the Bible. You know, every good story if it's a storybook, every good story follow, has four parts to it. it. It has an introduction where the characters in the story are introduced, whether it's a true book or fictional book. It has the same elements. The introduction and the setting and the background and the characters and the location and so on is introduced. Then there's a problem. If it's a romance book, the problem is finding that gal or guy's affection. If it's a war story, it's how to get through the war. If it's whatever it is, there's always a problem. There's a need that, is, that creates the tension in the book. And then there's always a solution in the book. Somebody comes up with the answer and the story goes through with the solution. And then finally, there's the conclusion of the book. The, the problem is solved. Every novel, every book of biography and so on has those elements. All right, there's another book, the book, God's book, the true book, the the book that's accurate in everything that it says, ultimately. And in this book, the setting is, begins with the universe being created. And the main character is God. And then he creates man, and then he sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the main characters. And then there's the problem. What's the problem in this novel, this narrative, this story of reality, this true story of reality? The the problem is sin. Evil comes into this beautiful paradise that the creator has created. And then there's a solution. What's the solution? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to the world. That's the solution for evil. And it's being worked out. It's not, it's not over. We're in the process of that problem being solved. That's what the story is about. When people say, well, Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. Well, evil's still around. Sure it is. We're still in the process. The story isn't over. The story's still being written this morning, isn't it? You and I are part of that story. And then there's always a conclusion. All things are going to be restored someday to their original state. We don't say this enough. Christians, listen. One day, everything is going to be just like it was the day that God created the heaven and the earth. 
All things will be restored. The curse will be removed. Sin will be banished. Hell and heaven will be populated and eternity will begin and everything will be right back to where it was in its purest state, just like it was the day God spoke it into existence. Christianity is that story, that narrative. Now, there are other narratives. We don't have the only one, see, and that's the competition that we face here today as a Christian living in this information age. And so there are other explanations, other worldviews that we have. For example, there's one called naturalism. There's actually only about four. There's not very many. What are the other worldviews? There's naturalism, or we call it materialism. And that's simply the belief that everything can be explained by energy and matter. That's scienceism, we sometimes call it. And it's expressed by people being atheists or secularists. And when you meet an atheist, an atheist says there is no God. The only thing that is, reality is based around natural processes. There's matter and there's energy and their interaction explains everything that happens in the universe or ever has happened. How many of y'all remember the name Carl Sagan? Carl Sagan was the famous scientist who came on PBS every week on your television and said, all there's ever been is the cosmos. That's all there ever will be, the natural universe. He was a secularist. He died a few years ago. But before he died in 1995, Sagan, this professing agnostic, wrote a book called The Demon Haunted World, 1995 by Carl Sagan. I quote from it. Even the secular Carl Sagan could see what was beginning to develop in a world that's moved away from its base. Quote, science is more than a body of knowledge. Carl Sagan says it is a way of thinking. I have a foreboding of an America in my children or grandchildren's time when the United States is a service and information economy. When nearly all the key manufacturing industries have slipped away to other countries, when awesome technological powers are in the hands of a very few people and no one representing the public interest can even grasp the issues. Get that. When the people have lost the ability to set up their own agendas or knowledgeably even question those who are in authority, and with our critical faculties in decline, unable to distinguish between what feels good and what is true. And we will slide almost without noticing back into superstition and darkness. End of quote. Carl Sagan, 1995. He may have been a secularist, but he saw the world unraveling. That the scientific, naturalistic worldview had not produced the utopia that everybody had dreamed of and thought it could. The second worldview is pantheism. That God is an impersonal force. He's not a being, a person like we know it to be. He's like the force in Star Wars. He's like magnetism or like gravity, just an impersonal 
law of nature of force. And pantheism reasons like this. God is this force that created the world, this principle or spirit that that spoke or that brought the world into being. And since he is that force, he is in everything, and therefore everything is God. And boy, you have pantheism all around you. Now it's in the Eastern religions, Buddhist or pantheist. That's what Hindus believe, that everything is God and God is in everything. And it's what the Taoists believe, and that's what the Unity School of Christianity believes out there in Missouri, a cult. It's what Ralph Waldo Emerson brought into public education in America a century ago called transcendentalism. It's what the New Age cults all believe today, the God within you. And interestingly, it's what the radical environmentalists of our age believe too. Why is it that you have the tree huggers who don't want to cut down a tree? Well, they believe that tree, that God created that tree and God is in that tree and that tree is God. That's why the radical animal rights activists believe what they believe. You think this stuff I'm preaching about isn't practical? It's up there and ethereal and super spiritual and out there in the universe somewhere. But when you get it right down to the living level of where people are today, these philosophies are controlling and directing people's lives. So out here in North Dakota right now, we got people holding big rallies and strikes and so on about a pipeline. They don't want it to come through. It would create tens of thousands of jobs. But they don't want that. Why do they not want that? Because of their view of the environment. They're pantheist. There's a burial ground possibly there. And there are spirits there. And there's God there. And at bottom line, it becomes religion. False religion, a false worldview. There's postmodernism, which basically says that you can't know reality. Each person just sort of constructs their own reality based upon their previous conditioning and experiences and so on. And it's impossible to know what truth really is. And then there's theism, the last. There's only four, really. About any other worldview fits in one of those categories. Theism is a personal God, a belief in a personal God. That would be Christianity, but that would also be Judaism, and it would also be Islam, interestingly enough. They believe in a personal God, Allah, they call him. And that's about it. So you're going to look at the world and say matter and energy explain everything, or there's these forces that we don't understand, pantheism, or you can't know it. There is no truth. There's nothing of value anyhow. It doesn't matter. Just live and die. Or you say there's a personal God in heaven. He created the heaven and the earth. There's a lot about it I don't understand. But he's revealed to me in his word what he wants me to understand. And I accept that. And I'll live my life according to that. Christianity. Lastly, Christianity is the solution to life's puzzle. I read 
this illustration somewhere a long time ago. Boy, I marked it down and said, I'm going to use that someday. Someday is here. <laughs> Can you imagine working a puzzle? We took a puzzle to the beach one time on vacation. I think it was a mistake. Because I go on vacation not to think. And you can't not think and put a puzzle together, can you? And Norma bought this complex puzzle, had five million pieces in it or something. And we put it on this big table, you know, and we turned all the pieces up. And uh, we looked at the picture on the front of it. It was a picture of a big lighthouse, if I remember right. And I looked for the ones, and we all did, that, that created the frame that had a straight edge around it, you know. Every, every straight edge when we pulled them out, and you know, within an hour or two, we had the frame built. But we still had four million more. <laughs> and none of them had a straight edge on it. And we fiddled with that thing, and after a while I said, this is a waste of my vacation. I'm not going to do this anymore. Christianity gives you the framework for how to think. Christianity frames up the puzzle. It has the straight edges on it. Are y'all following me? Is this making sense to you? It's just a few pieces. You can frame the thing up. It's those million in the middle that are a problem, isn't it? Christianity is the framework that we put around our reality, around our worldview of who we are. And you keep looking at the picture of the finished puzzle in here. And then you keep finding the pieces and you fit them in. And let me tell you, as a man who turned 74 years old this past week, I'm still fitting in pieces. You don't put the puzzle together overnight. You spend your life putting the puzzle together. You don't give up on the puzzle in 30 minutes. You keep on working at it and saying, Lord, give me wisdom and give me understanding. And you struggle with things. And I may die not having all the pieces, but I've got more pieces than I would have had had I ignored it, won't I? And so there are all those pieces to unscramble to see a clear picture of reality. Marriage that I've talked about because of my own experience this weekend. And family. And children, big pieces of the puzzle, big area of the puzzle. And along with that, of course, is sexuality, big issue of our day to day. And along with that, abortion, big issue of our day. But it all comes under that family, sexuality, children, parenting, part of that picture of life. And then there's government, the role of government. Some of you get uncomfortable because I talk about politics. You can't read your Bible and not apply it to the world of government. Government's in every nook and cranny of our life, for heaven's sakes. You going to ignore that? The reason I believe what I believe and take the conservative stance that I take is because of what I believe about the Bible. I could care less about donkeys and elephants. But I care about what God says. And you can't read your Bible and not be conservative in this world today. You have to ignore big pieces of it 
you're going to have to come down on that as part of your view of what right does government have to control my life? And what about economics? And what about education? And what about health? And what about church? Church is just one piece of the puzzle. It's not the Christian faith. It's one little piece of the puzzle, what we do here. And so my aim over the next weeks is this. I'm going to frame in the puzzle. I'm not going to preach on all those other subjects. I don't have time for that. I won't live long enough to fill in the puzzle. But I'm going to frame the puzzle, and I'm going to frame it around seven words. If you get these seven words, you'll have the framework of the Christian worldview. What's the words? God. We're going to start with him next week. I promise you I'm going to tell you some things about God you haven't heard before. You're going to... You're going to be fascinated by some of the material I think that I've found. And then we're going to talk about man in weeks to come. And then we're going to talk about sin, the problem. It goes far further than you just saying a bad word when you get mad. And then we're going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to talk about the cross, which is central to everything God has ever done. And then we're going to talk about the resurrection And then we're going to talk about how God's going to restore this old universe and make it brand new all over again and give us an eternity in heaven. 